This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. So good to see all of you again. I feel like I've just come home. Um, it's just a, such a, an honor. For you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Andy Shanholtz. I was on staff here for almost two years, uh, my second time through. I was here for 12 years prior to that. But uh, I just, just looked on the calendar and I realized... October the 1st will be 10 months that I have been gone. This, this summer has just really has blown by. It's just amazing how quickly it's gone. But a lot of great things are happening, a lot of great things happening here at Word of Grace as well as my church up in Manitowoc. Um, I'm pastor of Hope Community Church in Manitowoc, and um, they're just an amazing group of people as well. And I'm so honored and, and just very humbled to be able to serve a congregation like that and also very honored and humbled to be able to come back here and to share the word that God has put on my heart for you today. In fact, it's a brand new message. I tried it out on the first group that was here. The, the, real, the real Packer fans were here the first service. Uh, I guess the, a lot of the Bear fans are kind of intermingled in now. They don't really care. But, uh, but I'm glad that you're here today. And I believe God has given me a message that's going to bless your hearts. It's going to encourage you as well. The title of the message is called The Secret of a Happy Marriage. The Secret of a Happy Marriage. It just got real quiet here. Some of the ladies are getting their elbows all set, <laughs> taking some notes, make sure their husbands get a copy of the CD and so forth. So let's pray and ask God's blessing as we prepare. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks in advance for all that you're going to do here today. Lord, I believe that we're not here by accident, that we're here by design purpose. So Father, as your Holy Spirit has already gone before us to prepare our hearts to be fertile ground to receive the word that you have for us. And the Holy Spirit has anointed my tongue to bring forth this message with clarity and understanding. Help me, Lord, to articulate clearly your word for your people that we can indeed have a happy marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, open with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. How many already have been watching on television a lot of the news, not news, but a lot of the advertisements coming up, and a lot of these advertisements are are saying, oh, it's the flu season. Or it's the cold season and we need to get our inoculations, you need to get your flu shot, you need to get your shots for shingles and pneumonia and all these other viruses that are out there. But I believe that the enemy has worked overtime to release viruses upon our marriages and upon our homes. So I'm going to share with you three of the viruses that I have encountered in my years of ministry and primarily as a marriage counselor that maybe some of you are can identify with, and maybe some of you are battling that virus right now. And I hope to share with you some antidote that will help you to to be able to inoculate that virus and knock it out of your system and become the family and the marriages that God intended for you to have. So I'm going to share that with you today. The first virus I want to look at is what I call the sweet honey pie virus. The sweet honey pie virus. And what this virus says is this. If marriage, if it's right, it will be easy. If marriage is right, it will be easy. 
Now, for you that have been married for more than a week, can, well, no, that's probably not true. And it's a misconception. This virus enters really actually very early on. And it probably goes through the engagement stage. I've talked with some people that are engaged or so madly in love that they run into walls and, and have no concept of anything around them because they're, they're, they've got this fantasy of what marriage is going to be like after they're married. But it's a misconception. And this will sometimes this virus will kind of flow through the system, not only for, for at the engagement period, but it will go sometimes up to about three years, the first three years. And you kind of work through it, and sometimes you get disenchanted and so forth. But here's the antidote for this sweet honey pie virus. The antidote is this. Every relationship requires constant effort and work. Every relationship requires constant effort and work. There's three areas of hard work that I know you're familiar with, but I'm going to bring them to your remembrance again. The first area that that virus will attack will generally be the area of communication in our marriages. Isn't it kind of interesting that when you were first dating, that you really you would call each other just before your, you go to your apartment or your home, and, and you're not really saying anything, but you're just kind of breathing into the phone. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Oh, I can hear you breathe. Oh, it's just so in love with you. And you really don't go any, any far beyond, oh, oh. you hang up. No, you hang up. And you just breathe into the phone. And, 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 but there's really no dialogue. But what I've learned that 93% of our communication is nonverbal. 93%. 7% is what I say. That's why there's so many, sometimes some conflict that rises up in marriage because you're saying one thing, but your body language is sending another message or a mixed message, and you're not quite sure how to read that, so it creates some, some, some strife within the household. But what I've learned is that every person, when they're born in this world, we are born with three channels that are wide open. These three channels are our ability to learn information, our ability to communicate one with another. And these channels are audio, visual, and kinesthetic. Audio is, is, is the ability to hear what I'm saying. But some people I have found through my experience that you ever go into a household and, and, they're, and they're trying to communicate, one person gets loud, then the other person gets louder. It's like CNN and Fox Network arguing back and forth. And, and you think whoever's the loudest is going to win the debate. And so they get louder and louder and louder. But I have found from my experience what happens is the area where I am wounded is the area in which I shut down in my channel. So I'm not able to hear what you say because I've, been, I've always been yelled at and, and, and given, the, given the inference that what I say doesn't matter. Or you should be heard and not seen. Our children should be seen and not heard. One of these things will shut down our channels of learning. And so, you, so things begin to get so loud that you can't really hear each other. And another area is visual. As a minister, I have to, I have to communicate to you in all three of these channels because some of you are audio and you're saying, yeah, I love what this guy's saying. The visual people say, I don't, I don't see anything he's saying. It doesn't make any sense to me. Because they're visual. They have to see things. So when I have things on the side screen, and the kinesthetics are the ones that have to touch something. So you are the note-takers. All the kinesthetic people are the note-takers. They're writing things down because they have to be interactive. They've got to be engaged. And I've learned that a lot of times, 
a lot of conflict begins to rise up even in the teenage years simply because it's like you're living in a household that speaks two completely different languages. They're saying, why don't they understand what I'm saying? Why, can't you hear what I'm saying? Or if they would say, do you see what I'm trying to communicate? The way that you determine what channel is being engaged is the channel in which a lot of the verbs are being used. So hear what they're saying. Are they using terms that are visual? Are they using terms that are audio? Are they using terms that are more relational, touchy-feely, deal with the emotions? If those are the communication channels, that's how you connect. Do you ever meet a person and go, boy, I met this person for the first time, and I would swear that I've known him all my life. You ever met anybody like that? That's simply because you have linked into the channel which they're operating out of. Now, conversely, have you ever met someone and you're hearing and seeing their mouths move and words coming out, but you go, what did they just say? And you're looking and you go, what? Can you say that again and maybe more slowly? What? And it's just not registering. It's simply because they're speaking in a channel in which you have been shut down in. And a lot of times this comes in marriages where, where someone is hurt in an area that is communicated but yet they stuff it and don't acknowledge that they had been hurt. And so over a period of time, they shut down in that area, and they're not able to communicate. So that's one area. It's the area of communication. The other area is the area of compatibility. The area of compatibility, really a good book on that, is the five love languages. Do you know, are you compatible with your spouse? Do you know what their love languages are? My love language is affirmation. Uh, my wife was here last service. I wanted to make sure she heard that. <laughs> but hers, my wife's love language is acts of service. Now, see, she grew up a farm girl. She likes that. She loves to garden. She's always in her garden. That's her therapy is in her garden, vegetable garden. We're still getting things. We're canning like crazy. In fact, we're running out of shelf space, and we're still getting. And she wanted to plant sweet potatoes this year. Sweet potatoes is a southern plant. And, and so she's found a way, and they're taking over our garden. So we're just we're anticipating what's going to happen. But her love language is acts of service. This means if I do things with her, she is, she is so fulfilled, she is so energized that I'm actually engaging, I'm actually doing something with her. Now, that's a struggle for me. I hate gardening. <laughs> when I was a child, if I was bad, my dad would say, you're... You are, dis, you are disrespectful, you're disobedient, I want you to get in the garden and pull weeds. So, so every time I'm in the garden, I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? Can I fix this? And, and so, so I've learned that her love language is this, so I've learned to, to just be able to work with her, suck it up, because I know it means a lot to her. And then she'll say, honey, I really appreciate your help today. That's my affirmation. She said, I really, I really enjoy it when you work with me. See, I need that love language, but yet she, her love language is that. So learning what each other's love language is. See, some could be, um, there could be quality time together. Some maybe is receiving gifts. You know, and if, it's funny because my wife doesn't always like to receive gifts because she's wondering, what did I do wrong? And, and then another one is physical touch. So you have to learn the, the compatibility that you, that you guys have towards each other. But the other one is conflict resolution. If you're not able to communicate, it's difficult to resolve conflict. One of the things I have shared with a lot of couples and, and that come to me for marriage counseling, and I, I, I generally start out by this. I said, 
make it a very intentional effort to try to see it from their perspective. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but at least try to understand where they are coming from. And if you can try to, and that's two-thirds of the battle, if you can get a handle upon why they understand things that way, why they approach or process information that way, that's two-thirds of the battle. It doesn't mean you've got to agree with it, but it just means that now you'd be able to dialogue and share, well, I hear what you're saying, but here's, here's how I feel, or this is, this is how I see it. And, and then communicate that and increase the dialogue, and then you find a lot of times people just want to be heard. It's not a matter of resolution. It shows, it shows me respect when you listen to me. And I find in a lot of relationships, they just want to be heard. And if you, and if you allow yourself to be heard, you, what you're saying is that you have value to me. That's the body language. But if I cut you off, so, well, that's a stupid idea. That makes no sense. Even the dog knows better than that. What you're saying is you have no value to me. You see what the body language just, what does with that? So it's, so it's learning how, how to just put these components together. We have to be intentional and commit to building healthy relationships through these areas. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's in James 1, 19 and 20. Now, for those of you that have had Trek will understand that we don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. And by the way, for as far as an infomercial, Trek orientation will be October the 4th here. <laughs> I just had my orientation last week. We had 80 people show up for orientation. Either I'm a good salesman or they're definitely wounded. And I think it's a combination of both. And because I'm passionate about what this program has done in my own life and in the lives of other people that have taken it, it's a very intentional way to help to make sense of the madness that you're living in. See, I've learned that we all process information differently, and here's why. Our brain gathers information through these five physical senses. This is the only way our brain can understand what is happening in our environment. By building definitions and recognizing these various patterns that occur, the brain is able to recognize, comprehend, and respond appropriately. However, because each person's experiences are different, our understanding of what is happening is different. So this difference then leads to conflict. And then these perceptions lead to our expectations of how the world should work. And so, in other words drill us down in layman's terms, our brain takes a picture or a snapshot of every event that occurs in your life. And if this event occurred early on, every time it sets a precedence, like, a, like the law of the first mention, every time an event that is, is remotely similar to the event that your brain is taking a picture of, you will act as if that event is occurring all over again. That's where PTSD comes from as well. Your brain takes a picture, and every time you are put in a compromising situation that remotely looks like the situation that caused the trauma to occur and to freeze your emotional development, it will begin to say, that's the event, so I will act as if that event is reoccurring. So in our relationships, if there's a conflict of something is said or done, or even a smell or taste of something that is, that is being prepared, I will act as if that event is going to occur all over again. And that's how your brain is wired. 
Now, see, our, our conditioned or learned responses generally have their origin in these four sources, or I call them filters in our brain. We're getting towards the, the, the winter season, unfortunately. Some of you like it. I don't. Um, which means I've got to change the filter in my furnace. A lot of us have filters in our brain that has to be replaced with the truth of God's word filter. Because everything that you and I hear will go through these four filters in a nanosecond and come out to you as reality. But in essence, it is your perception of reality. Because you and I can look and hear the exact same information and draw two completely different conclusions. That's how a conflict starts. And most of us as spouses, we're looking at the same things, we're, we're getting all the same information together, but yet we can arrive at a completely different conclusion. Why? It's because of these four filters, and here's what they are. Number one, the first filter is the filter of what did my parents teach me? Because my parents are the first point of contact that I have with anybody, and my parents, from a child's perspective, is my first perception of what God is going to be like. And so if my parents tell me this, it must be true. So if I hear anything that is contrary to what my parents taught me, I, will, I, I have to intentionally rebel against that and replace that knowledge with the truth of God's Word. Now, if I grow up in a very dysfunctional household or a faulty, I have a faulty childhood experience, that's my parental filter that's in my brain and all the information that I hear goes initially through that filter. And then it comes out as reality to me. The second filter that we all have is what I call the traumatic experience filter or the critical event filter. Traumatic experience or critical event. What this says is this. If you've had one or a cluster of these things that had occurred in your life before the age of puberty, what happens is this creates an arrested emotional development, and your emotional or cognitive development will be that as a child. Okay? If you had one or a cluster of these things occur in your life before the age of puberty, then your emotion, in other words, your emotions are frozen at this point of trauma. If you've, been, if you've experienced rejection, incest, molestation, emotional or physical abuse, one or a cluster of those items will freeze your emotional development and your ability to resolve a conflict will be that as a child. Name-calling. Blame-shifting. I'm taking my ball and I'm going to go play over here. Now, it's cute when a child does it, but not cute when two spouses are doing it. Basically, what that is saying is that your emotions have been frozen at that point, and that's how you resolve conflict. A child is also very selfish. They do not care if you are busy. They want to be gratified now. My 15-month-old granddaughter could care less if my hands are in something else. If she wants to be fed, she wants to be changed, or she wants anything, she wants it now regardless of where I am at. It's cute for a child, but it's not cute when you're a spouse demanding that of your partner. Oh, I got real quiet in here. Note to Pastor Derek, do not invite that guy back ever again. 95% of marital conflicts, 95% of marital conflicts are the result of unresolved issues from childhood around the ages of 8 and 9. 95% of marital conflict are the result of unresolved issues from childhood around the ages of 8 and 9. We as pastors are performing weddings for 8- and 9-year-olds. 
Now, chronologically, you, you might be a lot older, but emotionally, that's how you resolve conflict. You ever watch an eight and nine-year-old? How do they resolve conflict? The third filter is religion or learning process. What was your spiritual heritage? Many, many are Catholics or Lutherans. So anything I share with you from the Word of God today is going through that filter in a nanosecond. That's not how I was taught. So that affects our ability to process information, my spiritual heritage. I remember when I wrote my doctorate dissertation on the book of Revelations. I thought, well, I've been studying this stuff for almost 40 years, so I, this ought to be a piece of cake. So as I set out to write my doctorate dissertation, God began to speak to my heart, and he says, and my doctorate was on the book of Revelations. And he says, is that what you really believe? If you were a recipient of the letter from the Apostle John, how would you interpret it and how would you respond to that? Boy, it knocked me off my theological hobby horse because I thought I had it figured out. But when I got real honest, I could not answer it that way. It's because I was going through my spiritual indoctrination of what I've been taught all these years and all the books I had read but when I gave myself a reality check to ask myself those questions, I really had to drill it down and answer it accordingly. It was tough. It took me two years to write it. Because every time, when I, every time I thought I had it figured out, I had to go back and, and, and the Holy Spirit just sit on my shoulder and ask these questions. So he just said, can you go take a coffee break and let me just finish my paper? The fourth one is the area of social expectations. What does my culture say to me? I grew up down south, Virginia, West Virginia line. And I realized that girls down there and girls in, in the Midwest are totally different. I realized quickly that women in the Midwest have an opinion. <laughs> I wasn't used to that. Pure information goes through these four filters and it comes out as reality. So everyone here has heard what I've just said. And, and already you formulated an opinion about what I've just said. And it may be totally different than the person sitting next to you because everything is filtered very quickly through those filters in your brain. And so part of our job as ministers is to replace those faulty filters with the filter of what does God's word say. And as we begin to replace that, in fact, that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about, the renewing of our minds. Don't be conformed to this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So the part of our journey is being renewed in our minds so that we can fully embrace and understand what was the author's original intent when we read these things contextually, what was the author's intent, and then how does that apply to me? Really, the only, only questions you have to ask when you read the Word. What was the message the author was intending to convey, and how does that affect me today? Here's the second virus. The second virus is called, if you love me, virus. If you love me, and, what it, and here's what it says. If you love me, you will change. If you love me, you will change. This generally affects most marriages about 30 months into the marriage. But again, you realize that this, this, this sweet honey pie virus 
is down to destroy you. It has fed you a, a, a gift, a book of goods that ain't good. So what happened, generally this affects women more so than men, but it does affect both of us. Because you have to realize women are 90% emotional and men are, and, and women are 90% emotional and 10% sexual. Men are 90%, 90% sexual and 10% emotional. So you have complete opposites. So during the dating and the courtship stage, I'm learning to communicate. I'm reaching out my 10% emotional with your 90% emotional. And then when we get married, then I reach out for your 10% sexual and I give you my 90% sexual. And then we're fulfilled. And life is great. It's a celebration. If you read the Song of Solomon, that's what it's all about. It's a great celebration, two people coming together, not just for procreation, but for the, part, but for the sole purpose of how can I help you to develop the life of Christ or the image of Christ in your life. That's why God brings the spouse to you that you have. Because God wants to reproduce the image of Christ in each and every one of us. And he says it's not good that man be alone. So he brings a helpmate. And his helpmate is to help refine the character and the conduct of Christ in your life. The Bible says it's only through much tribulation that we shall enter the kingdom of God. My wife says to me on a daily basis, Honey, I just want to see you make it. (laughs) I want to make sure you're still awake here. Just want to see you make it. But I found through my experience what happens is that there's a cycle. A lot of marriages will end at seven years. And here's the pattern. About 30 months into the marriage, the relationship is good. Everything seems to be going well. But all of a sudden, the wife starts to feel, or the woman in in a relationship, begins to feel empty, depleted. She's beginning to feel as if she's just an object of gratification and that that she's not really a person doesn't really have an opinion. And so she begins to drift away, and the husband begins to feel she's getting really cold. She's not, as, she's not as exciting as she used to be. There must be something wrong in our relationship. But another woman, a woman's another great need is security. So she feels that she may be losing the relationship with her husband, and so she will give in to physical intimacy again just to keep him from leaving. And then it goes through this cycle again. And then what's happening is, is that the man is, is, seems to be incapable of communicating and meeting her emotional needs, so she feels depleted and used. She doesn't feel as if she's a person of value and significance, but just a person uh, as an object. So we men have to learn that she has value, and that value is to help me to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I begin to look at it that way, and friends, we're going to have conflict in our relationships. If you're breathing, you're going to have conflict. But the point is, what do you do with it? Are you using it as a stepping stone to grow and begin to reflect the life of Christ in your, in your life? Or are you using it as an excuse to abandon the relationship? And so what happens is, 30 months goes. They become intimate again, and things begin to get good again. And all of a sudden, after about another 30 months, she begins to feel this all over again unfulfilled, and begins to think that she's crazy and begins to seek counselors to find out what's wrong with me. And the problem is not her, it's him. Simply because he doesn't know how to meet her emotional need. And it's something, guys, it's something we have to all learn. We were not taught that way as men. And so it's so important that we learn how to communicate beyond just a surface level of how it's work today. 
Good. But what are your dream and aspirations? Can you sit down and share with your spouse what you dream about, what you desire to be about, or are you afraid that what your, your mate will laugh at you? Because maybe they've heard these things before and there's been no follow-through. We have to realize, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The only person I can change is myself. That's the antidote. I can only change myself if I will yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. We are a work in process. We are going from self-centeredness to becoming servant-oriented. Is it only about me and my needs? Or is it about our needs? How can we grow together? How can, what can I do to help you reach your goals and dreams and desires? What can I do as a husband to help my wife reach her full potential in Christ? We're working process from the area of being judgmental to being accepting. Do I judge everything my spouse does as, as inferior, not quite like my mother did it? Or am I accepting of her of her dreams, her aspirations, her feelings? Am I retaliatory in my attitude, or do I have a forgiving spirit? Do I always want to have the upper hand? See, guys, here's another, here's another tip I want to share with you. Generally, when your spouse comes to you and, and, and says, I, I've, got, I've, I've got a problem trying to figure it out, they're not always looking for a solution unless they ask specifically for the solution because if you have the attitude that I have the solution, what you're saying, body language is, I'm smarter than you. I'm one-upped you. And when she really is after someone, a listening ear, I just want you to empathize with what I'm going through. Show me that you care enough for me because, you know, listening is one of the greatest and highest forms of showing respect to a person is by listening to them. Not listening with the intent... To, to rebuttal, but listening with the intent to, I really want to hear your heart. I really want to clarify that I'm seeing things from your perspective, that I can pray for you, encourage you, and, and, and just be there for you. Or am I defensive? I don't want to admit my faults. I don't want to take ownership for anything. We're in a process of realizing that I could be a part of the problem. Here's a big question I'm going to ask you. Big question. How would you like to be married to you? Got real quiet. How would you like to be married to you? Now, some of you may think, hey, that'd be a, that would be great. Next week, I'll do a sermon on humility and, the, and, and what to do with a rope around your neck. I've learned that willpower does not change man. Time does not change man. Only Jesus can change man. Before looking at the state of your marriage, look at the state of your soul. Look at the state of your soul. How is your relationship with Christ? Because my love for Christ, out of that overflows of that love, should be my love for my spouse and for my children. The third virus is called make me happy virus. The make me happy virus. This virus says this, my spouse should meet all my needs. My spouse should meet all my needs. Here's the antidote. Only God can meet your needs. 
Only God, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Only God. If you feel you need your spouse to complete you, you're opening yourself up for one of these virus because only Christ can complete you. And if you're looking for your fulfillment from your spouse, again, you're setting yourself up for failure because man will disappoint. We are, we are creatures that are wired to rebel against the things of God, but only God will not for, forsake us or fail us. So if my hope is in God, he will take all those components and make me healthy. You see, friends, in Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things shall be added unto you. What are all these things? Well, some of these things are, I, I want a sense of fulfillment. I want to be happy. I want to have things. I want to have all these different things. But Jesus says, you know, I'll give you a sense of fulfillment, the sense of value that you want if you will simply seek me first. There's no order there. Because everything that I have flows out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. If I want a happy marriage, I have to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Spouses, ladies, you need to learn to respect your husbands, whether we do dumb things or not. Respect your husband. That's the man's greatest need is to be respected. God has a great marriage for every one of us. We just have to be aware of the Holy Spirit's alerts to keep your marriage virus-free. Let me, in closing, let me share with you three things that you can do to prevent a marriage virus from entering in. Three things. Number one, learn to attack the problem and not each other. Learn to attack the problem and not each other. When these things present itself to you, attack the problem. Your spouse is not your enemy. Learn to attack the problem and not each other. Number two, learn to laugh together. Don't laugh at the person. Laugh together. So many marriages, there's no joy. You're coexisting. There's no sense of fulfillment. But friends, learning to laugh together is one of the greatest and one of the healthiest things a married couple can do. Number three, if you have if you've not heard anything I've said today, this, this is a keystone note. Maintain the attitude that the value of the relationship is greater than the conflict of the moment. The value of our relationship is greater than the conflict of the moment that we are facing. In other words, you start with the end in mind. The end in mind says there is no justifiable reasons for us to divorce. That we are in this through good times and bad times. We got married for better and for worse. And some of you have heard me say that when I married my wife, I knew I couldn't do any better and she couldn't do any worse. But if you maintain the attitude that the value of the relationship is greater than the conflict of the moment, if you will start with that end in mind, you will have a healthy and a happy marriage. Now, even though it says until death do us part, it's not a license to try to kill your spouse. Let me just clarify that. (laughs) 
but focus upon what God has called you to do. Attack the viruses that try to infiltrate your relationship. Replace it with the truth of God's word, and you will have a healthy and a happy marriage. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.